You are listening to the Financial Clarity for Doctors podcast by Finity Group, LLC, where we discuss the pertinent financial planning topics facing physicians and other medical professionals. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA, SIPC. And now, here are your hosts, Rochelle Vanderzanden and Corey Janoff. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Financial Clarity for Doctors. This is Rochelle Vanderzanden here with Corey Janoff. Hello. Hello. And we decided to record an episode today about how you have to leave a little room for error in life, in your financial plan, and all of the things. Because no matter how much you plan and plan and plan, there's always going to be a situation where things don't go exactly as you predicted. We're not great at predicting the future. We've talked about that as well. So it's good just to leave a little bit of a buffer in your plan. And financial planning, I think, is really very much about this. It's about, you know, kind of planning for the worst and hoping for the best. Like, obviously, we want to see double-digit returns in your retirement accounts over the long term. That may not happen, probably won't happen. So we kind of prepare for a worst-case scenario where maybe we get a 5 or 6% rate of return. Although maybe that's not the worst, worst-case scenario, but, you know, that's a, that's a pretty low rate of return <laughs> compared to what we hope to get. So today we're going to walk through a few examples of how you can prepare, some real-life examples, some areas of your plan that you kind of want to focus on in terms of where we need to build in some slack. And then, you know, as always, if you two, if anyone has questions, just send us an email and we can kind of address that as well. Um, yeah, I think one good example that we were thinking about ahead of time is Microsoft. You know, you don't not often think about large companies needing to have a buffer in place, but even companies do to a certain extent. And when Bill Gates was in charge of Microsoft, he always kept enough cash in the bank to keep the company afloat for a year, even if they earned no revenue, which is kind of crazy, honestly. Like, is that optimal? Was that like the most efficient use of those resources? No, but I mean, you could technically do a lot with excess cash like that. You could invest it. You could reinvest it in your company. You could try to grow it with, you know, lots of different um, investments and things like that. But I think it was smart. You know, Microsoft has been one of the biggest and most successful companies for over 30 years now, which is also a very, very long time to kind of be on top. And part of that is because they can weather storms. So it's not like they've never seen a dip in revenue or never had an off year, but they are very well prepared for that if that does happen. There's lots of other companies now that follow suit that do the same kind of things. So Apple, Google, Microsoft all hold over $100 billion in cash, which is so much money. And there's only about 50 companies in the entire world that are even worth $100 billion total. So the fact that they're able to keep that much in cash is impressive, but also just gives them a lot of flexibility to be able to adjust if things do not go according to plan. Yeah, they've got that that war chest and they can uh, be flexible as a result. So a couple other examples, you know, here's one that some of you may have heard of, but many of you probably not. But in uh, 2007, Google announced their Lunar X Prize program, basically as a challenge for privately funded teams to land a lunar rover on the moon. And they're offering a $20 million prize to the first team to successfully 
land a spacecraft on the moon. Um, I think they're offering $5 million to second place, and there are a few other consolation prizes in there too. But um, some young 20-somethings from Israel decided to go for it. I think they're like some engineers or whatever. But uh, their original plan was, all right, let's do this. We're going to build a spacecraft. It's going to be small. We're going to do it for $20 million, and we're going to accomplish this in two years so we can win this prize. And I think the $20 million target was, you know, they could probably raise $20 million from investors and then pay them back with the prize money from Google. And they actually almost accomplished it. They, they did it. It, it. it didn't quite happen in two years for $20 million. It took them eight years and $100 million. But they were able to successfully get their, uh, their spacecraft called Barashit to the moon, but it crashed during the landing. They were so close. <laughs> and I think Google ended up awarding them a $1 million prize as like a nice effort. They're, I think they were the only company or, or group to actually make it that far. Um, but it's a, one, it's a pretty impressive story worth checking out. But, uh, you know, the whole point is going back to this room for error. Hey, we can do this two years, 20 million. Yeah, right. It took four times as long and five times as much money. So anyone who's done a home renovation project, uh, or even just bought a house can attest it, it usually takes longer than planned and usually costs more than planned. And it rarely goes as smoothly as planned. Like rarely do all the stars align where everything just goes perfectly. Um, you know, you're, you're going to have, you got to have some room for error along the way or you're going to be disappointed because it's, it's just not going to happen perfectly as planned, as hard as you try or as much as you want it to, uh, unlikely to occur that way. Yeah. I think space exploration and all of these really complex engineering things are such good examples because, you know, it's like one of those few places where it's really hard to have any room for error because there's not. Like, you crash if if it doesn't go perfectly. So I remember we were watching a Netflix special, or I think it was a Nova episode on the James Webb Space Telescope, but I can't remember what number it was. It was an enormous number of what they call like failure points where basically if this one thing goes wrong, nothing will happen. Like it will all go wrong. Like if this one thing goes wrong, everything goes wrong. And it was like hundreds or something like that. It was like they have to be so perfect in every way and control for every single thing. And I think it's it's astounding that they're able to do that but it's also like very concrete things and problems whereas when we're talking about money it's not like it's not concrete the economy is not concrete your job isn't concrete your life isn't concrete everything has all of these variables that we can't control or predict predict so you know and we we can build in a buffer to a certain extent so it's a that's the goal yeah yeah so interesting. Um, I think one good example of how this has kind of played out in the economy specifically is with supply chain issues, like following the pandemic. Like prior to the pandemic and, and to a large extent, this is still the case, a lot of manufacturers practice something called just-in-time inventory. So essentially, companies receive goods just in time for production or sale, so they minimize buildup of stored inventory. Because if you're storing inventory, you're holding on to it. That's, you know, again, resources that could have been deployed elsewhere doing something else. And it is very efficient. You have no wasted materials or expenses for storage and things like that. But if there's even a very small disruption in the system, it can throw off the entire operation. 
when we saw that a lot during the pandemic where, you know, it's still an issue at, at to a certain extent in some industries where they just had this huge backlog because they didn't have inventory to fulfill needs when the needs came back. And so I think that that still happens in retail a lot. You see a lot of like retail inventory is based on something called run rates. So we sell approximately this number of this TV monthly. So that's how many we're going to have in our inventory in our store. And we're not going to hold any more than that or weekly because a lot of times they get shipments weekly. But then when you run a big sale and you're intentionally trying to sell more of this one TV, then, you know, you don't have it. <laughs> and your your customers are angry with you because you ran a sale and you don't have the inventory. And I think that you see that quite a bit now in retail, especially with so much moving towards online fulfillment and things like that, where they just don't want to have a lot of inventory in store because it's it's considered inefficient. Yeah, it's... Uh you can all probably attest there's a lot of frustration trying to order things like furniture or you know those larger appliances or it's just backlogged or you get the appliance in but there's a, a like one part that's missing that is on back order so like when we moved into our, our new house we got a, a new range whatever stovetop oven thing and we wanted the the toe kick cover that you know covers the just the legs of it so you don't have this open blank space underneath but it was like you know three months back ordered so you know they had to deliver that after they they deliver the oven which is fine you know didn't impact our life at all other than maybe a few little kids toys that got lost under the oven in the <laughs> in the interim but um but yeah the supply chain thing is real and uh not necessarily an easy fix either um you know, and to for you guys listening, you probably see a lot of inefficiencies or or you know areas in, in healthcare where you know it, it's tr they're trying to optimize and it it backfires. You know, administrators want to optimize the output of all their providers. How much money can we squeeze out of all of you? Well, you know, let's do the math. If a provider can see four patients an hour, that's 40 patients in a 10-hour workday. So let's cram 40 patients onto all of your schedules. Well, what if some of the patients take 20 minutes instead of 15 minutes? Um, you know, what if one of the nurses has to leave midday due to an illness and there's no way to cover? Well, what if a doctor has to get on the phone with the insurance company and get approval for a certain treatment? You know, pretty soon that 10-hour workday turns into 12 hours. Doctors are burned out. Support staff wants to go home. Patients are irritated. You know, we can, Rochelle and I can attest, and I'm sure you can too. You, you have your appointment at 1045, you know, show up at 1030 for check-in and you're there at 1030 and you don't get called until 1130 to go back and see the doctor. It's like, well, what the heck? Why did I need to show up an hour before you're actually going to see me? It's because of all this stuff. Like there's never a day that goes by where something doesn't pop up that that delays things and, and ends up taking, you know, a little bit longer and then compound that, you know, one thing over the next, um, you know, and, and, and things start to spiral out of control and everyone gets frustrated. So, yeah, I actually have a client who they were dealing with a lot of this in her 
workplace, and they introduced AI note-taking to try to take some of the administrative burden like off of the providers so that they weren't so overwhelmed because they were, because they had these quotas and they had to see a certain number of patients every day and blah, 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 blah. And it has been very helpful. It was kind of crazy hearing her talk about it and how it actually works. I was like, that's insane. But long story short, the administration reached out to all the providers and was like, now that you have this capability and it's saving you all of this time, how many more co- like patients would you feel comfortable seeing per day? <laughs> and they were just like, what? <laughs> like Negative five. Take right? them off. I want to have lunch. <laughs> right. So there's just like this push, push, push to do more and more and more without any sort of sense of relief or buffer built in. Yeah. Kind of, you know, think of patients as you know, just in time inventory or, you know, nurses and providers and materials and stuff. You know, we saw with COVID hospital systems literally breaking because they weren't prepared for the influx of patients. You know, we had shortages of providers, shortages of supplies, beds, et cetera. You know, hopefully we don't, you know, see instances like that regularly, but you, in order to prepare for instances like that, you have to have some slack in the system. You have to be operating below max capacity, below maximum efficiency. You know, optimization works great when things are going smoothly, but rarely do things go smoothly. And every once in a while, they go catastrophically poorly. And that's where where companies go out of business. Um, you know, 2008 financial crisis, we, like Silicon Valley Bank last year, I mean, you, it, it can happen so quickly if you're not well insulated and well prepared for, you know, things to, to go poorly. That's why, you know, companies like Microsoft are an anomaly. It's rare that a company's in business for, you know, 40 plus years. I think they were founded in the mid 80s or they might, I think they went public in the mid 80s, maybe founded in the late 70s, early 80s. But they've literally been one of the largest companies in the world for going on 30 years now, which is almost unheard of. Um, and it's, you know, because they've won, you know, delivered a, a good popular mm-hmm. product and service and, and reinvented and innovated over time. But also they've just been prepared. Like there was a stretch in the early 2000s where they were just dealing with regulators left and right and hit with lawsuit after lawsuit. They weren't really growing because they were dealing with all the regulations and stuff. And they, you know, they've kind of come through on the other side and they're bigger and stronger as a result of it. But I don't know if they would have been able to weather all those storms without their war chest of cash. Absolutely. Yep. I think we work this into our, our lives professionally as well. You know, if every day, every week, we kind of expect there to be emails and questions and like things that are maybe unexpected and like as professionals, we have to intentionally build time into our schedule not to only do meetings and prepare for meetings and follow up on meetings, but also to handle all of those other things that come up on a regular basis. You know, whether it's a client wanting to chat about a home purchase or a job change or all of a sudden we have new continuing education requirements because regulation has changed again, which happens. <laughs> There's a, a lot of different things like that, I think. We both recently had some fun weather to deal with. Like in my home, we lost power and it was helpful to have some backup light sources. You know, we are lucky enough that we have natural gas in our home. So we were able to like heat our home and things like that. 
But if we had been out of power for much longer, we would have been out of luck because we don't have a buffer built in very well for that. You know, so it made prepping look a lot more attractive. <laughs> Let me just say that. So, you know, a lot of times you look at people who are very prepared for every scenario, which maybe is a little bit overkill. But man, I wished I had a generator. I wanted all the backup food and water in my garage. I wanted all the things. And it really does make you think about, you know, this is what's happening right now in the dead of winter. You know, what if what if there was an earthquake? We live in Oregon. Like, that's a that's a big possibility. And what if we're, it, there was an earthquake and it was 20 degrees outside? Like, what would we do? Like, what? I have no idea. I don't have a plan for that. But right now, I feel like maybe I should make one. Probably should. We're, we're planners. <laughs> Get the earthquake kit ready. Where are we going to meet? Where are we going to go? Yes. So, yeah. Have the, the bucket of freeze-dried food ready to your uh, your instant water sterilizer tablets or pens and whatever. I, um, yeah. But yeah, no. like that stuff? We have a couple buckets of the freeze-dried food that are probably expired, but that stuff doesn't really go bad. Like mm-hmm. I've been going camping with my dad, and we've eaten – freeze-dried packets that are as old as me and they're still fine i'm exaggerating a little bit but um but yeah we do have the steri pens where it's like an ultraviolet light that you can swirl in water and i bought a thing of backup batteries for them so if we need to we can just go to the river and get a bucket of water and slowly sterilize it they also like i think getting one of those pump filters like uh those would be a little bit more efficient than the pens the pens are good for like a water bottle size thing a tablet or uh water but if you want to like you know do several gallons at a time getting the the pumps would yeah. uh would be helpful but yeah earthquakes real thing floods fires natural disasters um hopefully they don't happen but uh wouldn't hurt to be prepared for it if they do but yeah i mean back to the topic at hand yeah you got the ice and loss of power we got like a foot of snow that same week school was canceled um, you know, got to deal with kids being home while trying to work. And then, you know, a few weeks ago, Lindsay strained her back and like could barely move for a week. So now I have to pick up the slack and make the lunches, get both kids to school, walk the dog, do the dishes, fit in that thing called work too, that pays the bills. Um, you know, it's, it, it, yeah. It, and, you know, professionally, personally, there's always something like literally every day I'll get an email or a call from a client with something that I didn't have on my schedule to address that day, but it popped up or, you know, internally staff, whatever, there's something that pops up that needs my attention. It's like, well, I, I didn't have time blocked off for this, but I got to deal with it and it takes time out of the day. So like I intentionally carve out time on my calendar that's just blank space that like if you know my clients who are listening know you can schedule meetings on my online scheduler there's some hours and some days that you'll never be able to schedule on that online calendar if you want to have a meeting during that time you're gonna have to email me and ask politely if you can meet with me then (laughs) because like I, I, i need to have some breaks to accommodate those to be expected unexpected things that pop up like just this morning i had a client you know hey can we talk urgently we got something that we need to make a decision on like by the weekend it's like okay yeah let's do it that's what i'm here for so but you know i didn't plan for it but it happened but i i guess i kind of inadvertently i did plan for it i knew something would happen and uh, you know so i've got the time to handle stuff like that so absolutely um 
Yeah. Yeah. Personally, kids get sick. You got something pops up. Like there's all always something, no matter what, there is always something and you just need to be prepared for whatever that something is. You don't know what it is in advance, but you know, it's going to happen and there's going to be something that takes some of your time and energy and resources. So be prepared for it. Yep. Absolutely. I think every job is a little bit different, but that's so true in our particular profession, I think. But it applies to all jobs. Like, I mean, it's the exact thing is different, but we talked through some healthcare. We talked about us. We, I'm sure Nick has, you know, his own things that he deals with at his job. Mm -hmm. Like no matter what job there is, there's always something that's going to pop up during the day that you didn't have on your schedule or planned for, but now you got to deal with it because it's yeah. just I guess I was job. thinking like service jobs and things like that where you go in and you punch a clock and then when you punch out, you're done, which is sometimes that seems. Like you're working at McDonald's, all right, the fryer is broken and now we can't make French fries. <laughs> what do we do? Or hey, the cooks are behind or overcooked the burgers or like there's going to be no matter what Nightmares. job, there's going to be something that's screwing up and you're getting customers angry and yep. like you got to kind of have have preparation have the backup fryer for the fries have you know an extra thing of frozen meat so you can make some more burgers if needed i don't know i don't know either but good thing i don't have to think about that (laughs) i know so we're gonna bring it back around to financial planning which is what this podcast is all about But I think, you know, some of the big things that you can do to just have a buffer in your financial plan is, number one, have some emergency reserves. You know, stuff happens. A home repair, especially if you own your home, medical bills, stuff for your kids. All of a sudden, now they want to do swimming. (laughs) And it costs $3,000. And you're like, what the heck? Why does swimming cost $3,000? But it very well could. Or, you know, let's say you have a family member that passes away and you have to travel for a funeral or a wedding, you know, anything like that. Like we can't necessarily plan ahead for those things, but we know that there will be unexpected things that happen. So a lot of times when we're going through spending with clients, it's like, okay, we know we spend about this much per month, about this much per month on this. And I'm like, cool, but how much do you actually spend per month? Because we know it's more than that because there's always something that comes up almost every month there is something unexpected that comes up whether it's like a vet bill or a car repair or you need a new computer like maybe they're not always that huge but when you add them all up they can be pretty significant so definitely a buffer is important agree live below your means we've talked about this one before it's like financial planning rule 101 um you know spend less than you earn so you have that flexibility to absorb the in speaking of pets your dog <laughs> barking in the background you know be able to absorb increased expenses like you said kid wants to do swimming now we're just magically spending an extra three thousand a year on swimming lessons or whatever uh unexpected additional kid those happen sometimes <laughs> um <laughs> Home and auto insurance rates increasing. This is something that's really prevalent. We're seeing a lot. Your your car insurance, home insurance rates are going up sometimes significantly. Uh, just general expenses rising with inflation, but your income, you didn't get the pay raise this year, you know, uh, for whatever reason. It's your pay is stagnant, but your expenses are rising. Um, so, you know, being able to absorb that without having to, you know, make some hard decisions. You know, yeah. If, if, uh, it's important. 
Yep. I think insurance planning is boring. No one wants to talk about it, but it's important. You know, it, that is a big part of what your cushion is, is just having some security in place for if things don't go according to plan, especially really big things. So if you get sick or injured, if a tree falls on your house, this ice storm this past week taught me that that is a very real possibility in my neighborhood, just looking around and seeing how many houses did have trees in their homes. It was insane. But, you know, you can get sued. Like, all sorts of things happen and there are insurances for lots of those big things in your life, whether it's disability insurance or life insurance or liability insurance, homeowner's insurance. All of those things are really important for those big unexpected things that can happen. Yeah, I think, you know, having that emergency reserve for the little things that happen that you know are going to, uh, to occur and then having the insurances for things that could happen. Um, <coughs> But you don't know if or when, like the disability, the death, the you know house burns down or a tree falls through it. Um, you know that's where having the the appropriate insurances in place is uh, is beneficial because you know those would be tough to overcome yourself financially. So that's why the insurances exist. Absolutely, I think with retirement planning, it's just kind of like saving more than you think you need. You don't know that you're going to work to the retirement age that you plan to work to. You could be forced to retire early. It could be, you know, that maybe you're not able to work as long as you expect to be able to work. Maybe your investment returns just aren't as good as you expected them to be. So you just need a little bit of extra buffer. Maybe, you know, when you were really early on, your investments didn't perform very well, which is kind of a bad time for that to happen. And then, you know, it just over the long term, that can affect your long term returns. We there we see Early lots on of different... in retirement you're talking about. Yeah. So like you first retire and it's a you got a few down years in a row and that's going to really and you're withdrawing strain. your assets at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. A double whammy. Yep. Um, Corey, talk about your family friend. Yeah, so we got a family friend who's, you know, parents were pretty well set up for retirement, but they didn't die they kept living and they never thought they'd be living you know into their late 90s and they pretty much have run out of money as a result and you know i don't think anyone born in the 1920s expected they would live close to 100 um you know but it sometimes happens so you know making sure like if you know i'll talk to especially folks that are like in their 50s or 60s or 70s right now you know existing retirees they're like, oh, I'm not going to live to 90. Oh, I'm not going to live to 100. It's like, well, you could. Seven, you're 70 now. You're in pretty good health. You don't smoke. Like, statistically, you will likely live very close to 90, if not, you know, well past 90. Like, I think the if, if the, a, a married couple that's in their 60s who doesn't smoke, I think there's a greater than 50% chance at least one of them is living into their 90s, and I believe a 25% chance that one might live past 95. And that's with today's, you know, numbers. And and with you guys, you're like the top of the echelon demographic here. Like if you look across the spectrum, life expectancy rises with with income almost linearly. The the more money you make, the longer you're expected to live because you have access to better healthcare, you have access to healthier foods, 
uh, you know, healthier lifestyles. You can afford the the gym membership, the exercise programs, etc. You know, you're less likely to succumb to those. What do they call them? The death of despair, the like, you know, alcohol abuse, drug related issues, suicide. You know, that's mostly prevalent in, in impoverished communities. Not, you know, we're generalizing here, but uh, but yeah, you know, you guys should be expected to live longer than average um, just by the nature of your, you know, incomes and, and access to, to, you know, the, the things that you need to live a long time. So, resources. Yeah, yeah. You know, I would, you may not live into your nineties, but I would plan for it. I would, you know, for all you listening, I would probably plan to live to a hundred potentially, you know, cause you, you know, it very well could happen. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing about living that long is a lot of times you have more medical expenses, you know, so life becomes m more expensive when you live a really, really, really long time. Not for everyone. Some people live and they're very healthy in their 90s, which is amazing. And I want to be one of those people. But <laughs> but there's often expenses as well. I think the other thing is, you know, aside from yourselves and your own retirement plan, there's a lot of times some call to help support family members. You know, whether it's your aging parents who lived longer than they expected or children past when you expect to be helping them. I think there's lots of folks nowadays that are supporting young adult children, at least somewhat financially. And you may be some of those adult children. Like we have lots of clients who pay, whose parents still pay for their phone bills or car insurance or other expenses, you know, help with childcare, things like that. Um, so yeah, I think that it's helpful to build in a little bit of buffer for all of those possibilities as well. Um, yeah, I think we can come up with so many examples. <laughs> yeah, like a client recently came to me, they're like, hey, my kid got in a car wreck, needs a new car. Um, you know, they don't they didn't want to buy a new car outright for their kid, but they wanted to help them out, you know? So we kind of worked out a arrangement. I was like, well, what if you lent the kid the money so they don't have to go to a bank and pay double-digit interest rates for a, a, a new used car? And you could lend it to them at like 6% interest. So, you know, good deal for the kid decent deal for you. You're getting a 6% rate of return on your money, kind of like a, a decent bond right there. Um, and you know, so kid wouldn't have to go get the loan from the dealership or the bank. So kind of a win-win for everyone. And you know, you can hold your kid accountable, but, uh, you know, you have the cash on hand, uh, to help them out still. So, but others, you know, if you might, you know, just want to do that outright for your, your, your kids, help them out if they're not in a, a good spot financially when they're adults. So, yeah. Um, yeah. You just never know. You might be helping your adult children. You might be helping your aging parents in addition to trying to help yourself financially. So you could always say no, I suppose. Um, you know, but, Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, planning for the, I'm always, um, you know, I guess concerned. I'm, I'm terrible at thinking of words on the fly. I need like a mental thesaurus chip installed in my brain. <laughs> but like, uh, you know, the you, know, you see this with the fire movement or like the minimalist, like, oh, I've crunched my budget, you know, in nine different ways. And if I can save up, you know, $900,000, I can retire and live on this much per month for the rest of my life. And I can stop working at age 40 and you know, whatever the silly math is. Um, and, and it's like, okay, that's fantastic. If 
everything goes according to your calculations and plan, which I can almost promise you it won't. And it also assumes you have the same goals, objectives, desires, hobbies, etc. well into the future, which, you know, it's, there's so many variables that are impossible to predict. So, you know, yeah. plan for the worst, hope for the best. Um, we've talked about before your savings rate solves a lot of problems. If you just save a lot of money and that'll allow you to absorb a lot of these things that life will throw at you. Yeah. So it's helpful to have that wiggle room in almost any situation, you know? Um, and I think that sometimes, you know, we think about spending our money as the way to have fun, but you can also create some unnecessary stress if you're living paycheck to paycheck, which is not fun. You know, so part of this is about just giving yourself a little bit of a peace of mind, knowing that you have some backup, you've got some wiggle room, so you don't need to be super stressed about it if things go wrong. And I think that's something that's important to really emphasize to yourself, especially if you're doing these things right. Like I think people that are doing things well often stress more than people who aren't, which is really kind of interesting and funny. But if you do are doing a lot of these things, like give yourself a breath, you know, just relax. You've got some extra room built in so that if something goes wrong, you're going to be okay. And that's what it's there for. So if you do need to break into your emergency reserves, that's what it's there for. Like just stop stressing too much about using the resources the way that they're being designed to use. Yeah, I think I want to say it's Morgan Housel has a good quote. It's uh, plan like a pessimist, invest like an optimist. So think a bunch of stuff is going to go wrong. Incorporate that into your overall planning. But long term, be optimistic with your investments and, you know, assume that we're still going to continue to grow and evolve and, and increase productivity and efficiencies over time so that there's going to be opportunities for your investments to continue to grow. And if you look long term, that's held true. You know, we, we've improved every generation since the beginning of time. And, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic we will continue to do that well into the future. But you still got to plan for for stuff to go sideways from time to time. Yep. Awesome. Thank you for listening, everyone. If you like the show, give us a 10-star rating, write a review, tell your friends. Helps get the word out. Appreciate it. See you next time. We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing podcast at thefinitygroup.com or by following Finity Group on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Finity Group LLC. You can follow me on Twitter at Corey Janoff CFP, Instagram at Corey Janoff, or on LinkedIn under my name, Corey Janoff. You can follow me on Twitter at Rochelle Finance or on Instagram, Vanderzanden Rochelle, or on LinkedIn under my name, Rochelle Vanderzanden. Check out all of the podcast episodes on thefinitygroup.com slash podcast, on our Finity Group YouTube channel, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to check out our Financial Clarity blog at thefinitygroup.com slash blog. Thanks for listening to this episode of Financial Clarity for Doctors by Finity Group, LLC.